Today we wrap that up. We wrap up our short four-week series on how to hear God's voice. And and just as a a reminder of of where we've been, we started with the Bible. And if you um, have been tracking with us at all in this series, you know what I'm going to say about the Bible. That the Bible is the way, first and foremost, primarily, the Bible is the way that we hear the voice of God in our lives. Why? Because it's not a book. It's not just words on paper. This isn't something that people wrote and passed down generation to generation and we read it. Right? It's not, it, it's not just some good piece of literature. But this is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. These are the very words of God that were breathed out. And when you read it, you are breathing it in. This is living and active. You cannot hope to or expect to hear the voice of God if you are not immersed in the word of God. And and, and then also, as secondary languages that God speaks, we talked about desires and doors. Things that that God opens and closes and and desires and, and things that he puts on your heart. And last week we talked about the role that people play. That God will use people to speak truth into our lives. In, in blind spots that we have, in hidden parts of our life that we have, and in the call he has. And then we wrap up the series this week talking about dreams and promptings and how God will speak to us. We'll hear his voice through dreams and promptings. And some of you are like, Matt, that's weird because I've had some crazy dreams. Right? Some of you know you have that dream where you're frantically running around and you're looking for the bathroom. And in the dream, you can't find the bathroom. And then you wake up and you're like, what does it mean? Well, it means you need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I'm not saying that's from God, right? But who wants to clean up a mess? But no, no, no. The point is this. Right? The, the point is, not every dream, not every desire, not every person that you come across, not every prompting, not every vision is going to be God-ordained. But, man, a lot of them are. If we're open to it, if we trust God in that way, if we ask God to speak to us in that way, if we know his word primarily, we hear God's voice in his word, and we ask him to speak to us, there's no reason that he can't or won't. In fact, as we read... We have literally hundreds of examples in his word about the way that God chooses to do that very thing. And some of you might think, well, oh, that's in the Bible. That doesn't matter now. No, no, no. It absolutely does, and we're going to dig in. But before we do that, I want to answer a simple question that I've been asked a couple times over the last month as we dig into this series. And, And I felt foolish for not addressing it early on, right? Because it's a legitimate question. And and the question is this, why would God bother to talk to us? Why does God care to talk to us? People have wanted to know, like, okay, God, he gave us the Bible, right? So so we, we can read the Bible and we can know some things. Why does he give us more than that? Why would we expect more than that? Why do we think we deserve more than that? Why would God bother? And, and the best answer I can give you as I pondered that is simply this. 
Because God is love. It's the only three words I can give you to answer the question. I'm just going to tell you what, what, what the Apostle John said, 1 John 4, 8. Um, he talks about the fact that if you don't love, then you don't really know God. Why? Because of these three words. God is love. God is love. And he loves you. God loves you. See, when, when people ask the question, why in the world would God care to talk to me? And, and, and what is it that God has to say to me? And why does it matter? He gave me the Bible. Why would he do more? It's because he loves you. I don't know what you think about when you think about God. A.W. Tozer said, you know, he, he had, made, made the statement. We've talked about it before. But what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And, and I, I would speculate that if one of the, the first things to pop in your mind when you think about God is not that God is love, then you have a wonky picture of God. Yeah, God is merciful, and God is just, and God is holy, and God is righteous. But I think the truest thing about God and the way that he interacts with his people is that God is love. And we have such a hard time believing that. Right? Because I know my past. And it's not awesome. And if I'm really honest with you, I know my present. And I'm not rocking that either. But God loves us like crazy. He absolutely does. Here's the thing. God loves you not because of who you are. Right? But God loves you because of who he is. Because God is love. And he's committed to you. And you're like, yeah, Matt, but what about? Yeah, God disciplines. God's love is corrective at times. God has to have the equivalent of what we would call tough talks with our kids. Tough lessons. And we don't love them. But they're always for our good. Listen, God loves you. God loves you when you are faithful. And God loves you when you doubt. God loves you when you believe. And he loves you when you struggle to believe. God loves you when you are successful. And he loves you when you fail. Because it's not about you. But the truest thing about God and the way that he interacts with his people is that he is love. So, so here's just the thing that I need you to know. Believe it or not, God loves you. More than that, he likes you. He's fond of you. And because of that, he speaks to you. And so we, we just need to understand that. We need to know that going in. Um, and unfortunately, oftentimes we just, we, we intellectually know it. We pay it lip service, but it's not something we feel in our soul. If we're honest, a lot of times we think God is disappointed in us. We think that God is irritated by us or frustrated because we've made mistakes or we've let him down. But listen, God loves you, Period. Uh, and, and he talks to us because he loves us. 
It's like he whispers to us. It, 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 you're like, why can't we hear the big booming voice in the sky? Is it, sometimes we think God doesn't give us the big booming voice in the sky because he doesn't love us enough to give us that. Well, listen, it's almost the opposite. God doesn't boom a big voice at you because he wants you to get closer. He wants you to lean in. You ever read the word and you're like, that's a little bit complicated. Why can't just say, hey, Matt, go do this? Well, God wants you to lean in. As he whispers, you get closer and closer so that you can hear and you can discern and you can know. And when you get close enough, God wraps his arms around you and he whispers to you, I love you. There's a story, um, a, a gal named, uh, what's her name? Mary Ann Bird. Uh, she was born in 1928, uh, and, and she wrote about her story. She, she was born with a terrible cleft palate. And uh, it took 17 surgeries to try to correct. This is a while ago. And they never quite got it worked out, right, to the point where it, it hurt for her to drink out of a drinking fountain or to try to blow up a balloon. And she was teased mercilessly from kids because, as we know, listen, kids, we love you. But, but you kind of suck sometimes. And you're not always nice to each other. And they teased her mercilessly. And on top of that, she was deaf in one ear. And she recounts in, in, in her writing that the worst day of the school year wasn't the teasings that she would get. Right? It, it wasn't the, the fact that people would pick on her and cause her grief because of how she looked. The worst day was the whisper test. Some of you might be old enough that you remember the whisper test. I had no idea what the whisper test was, so I had to check it. Here's the whisper test. Before we had all of these fancy headphones and things that you could do to check hearing, you would come up to the teacher's desk. She would call kids up one at a time, right? So everybody else is in the room doing their thing, and she'd call kids up one at a time, and, and she'd cover up one ear, and she'd whisper something like, the dog is brown. And then she'd ask you to repeat what she said. And Marianne hated whisper test because she knew she was going to fail. And she knew it was going to be a reminder of everything that was wrong with her. Her hearing, her face, her, 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 her cleft palate, everything. But it was her turn on the day of the whisper test. And she walked up front to Mrs. Leonard, the teacher everybody loved, and, uh, and, and got ready. But instead of covering the good ear to whisper... Mrs. Leonard, in what Marianne would describe as something that must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, something that must have been put in her heart and mind by the Holy Spirit of God, covered the bad ear instead, leaned in close, and whispered, I wish you were my little girl. Something that changed the trajectory of her life. God wants you to get close. I don't, I, you're like, why are you lingering so much here? We've got dreams and promptings to talk about. I know, I know, right? But God wants you close because more than he wants you to know what he wants for your life, and that's important. God wants you to know what he wants for your life. God has things for your life. Ephesians 2.10, he has laid out things for you to do from the day of your creation. You were remade in Christ and he's got work for you to do and he wants you to know it. And he, he speaks to you so that you know it. But more than he wants you to know that, 
he wants you to know this. I love you. I want you to be my child. This is why he whispers to us, so that we'll get close and we'll hear. All right, so let's dig in. Um, This isn't new. God talks this way in Scripture all the time. God continues to speak truth. Jacob, Jacob had a vision, what we would call a daydream. Jacob had a vision um, in Genesis that completely changed the trajectory of his life. Joseph, Joseph interpreted two dreams of Pharaoh's that saved two nations. Daniel interpreted dreams. God spoke through dreams that saved all of the wise men of Babylon. Jeremiah had a vision that God blessed him with the the year after King Uzziah died. Right? We have dreams all through Scripture. And you're like, okay, Matt, but but that was then. What about now? Well, listen what Joel says. Joel says, then, after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old wet men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. See, and we've been operating under a simple presupposition in this series that if God does it then, right, if he did it then, that he wants to do it now, right? And then, right, we see this truth. That that God will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And you're like, okay, well, but Matt, that's talking about later. That's talking about the end times, right? Because that's what he says. Then after doing all this, and this this is God talking about the last days. You're like, so maybe that's true when we get to the last days. But no, 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 this is now. Peter uses these very words in his first sermon, right? The, the Holy Spirit is working incredibly when, when after uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes on the, the, the followers on the day of Pentecost, they go to the temple to preach the word, and everybody's like, man, these guys are nuts. What's happening? And, and Peter stands up and says, don't you remember what it said? He quotes Joel. He says, look, this is what's happening now. The Holy Spirit has come in power. We are in the last days. The Spirit is poured out. Sons and daughters will dream dreams, will prophesy. Old men, young men will see visions. God will speak to us in this way. And some of you are like, man, it's weird. Here's why it's weird. It's weird because it hasn't happened to you. We have a tendency to be really, really, really skeptical when we haven't experienced things. And so we tend to dismiss people that have experienced God in ways that we haven't. Has God ever spoken to you in a dream in a way that you heard and understood? Maybe. And if so, you have no problem believing that God can speak that way. Has God ever prompted you so heavily in your heart that you knew you just had to respond, there was no option? I hope so. And if he has then you have no trouble believing that that's how God works. But if it hasn't happened to you, then you tend to dismiss it as weird. And I'm going to be honest with you. I used to be that way. I used to be the guy that, because I hadn't experienced those things, and I thought, I love Jesus. 
I love Jesus, and I love Jesus a lot. And I got the Holy Spirit living in me. I know I do. And so if those things are not in my experience, then they're just not real. But then you know what God does? I'd love to tell you God regularly speaks to me in my dreams. It doesn't happen. But here's what has happened that has stretched me. There are people that I know, love, and respect that I know are walking with the Lord that do and that freely share. And so I'm in a position where I have to make a decision. I can either be skeptical about these people that I know, love, and respect, and I can see them walking with the Lord. I can see the fruit. I can be skeptical, or I can believe that God is doing it. And then I read it in the Word, and I see that it happens, and I see Peter say, the time is now, these days. These days, right, where sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And I have to come to the understanding that God wants to speak this way. He did it then. He wants to do it now. And there's reasons that he does it. It's not just because it's a cool trick. But God does it very clearly to accomplish things. In fact, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts 10. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus or you're listening online and you're a follower of Jesus and you are not Jewish, you owe, you owe your faith and your eternal destination to a double vision that happens in Acts 10. You owe your faith to a moment where God spoke through dreams and God spoke through a vision. The first one goes to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was Roman. He wasn't Jew. He was a Gentile. So even though he was in a position of power over the Jews, spiritually they looked at him as less than. He was an outsider, right? He was not Jewish. He wasn't part of the covenant community. In fact, they would have considered him to be unclean. But Cornelius is a devout man. Now, devout does not mean Christian because he's not Christian. What devout means in this context is that he wants to follow God. He doesn't know what it means to follow God. But there is something in him that desires to follow God. I know one of the issues that many people have with Christianity is what happens to people that die that have never heard about Jesus? How is it fair Well, I've told you this before, but God doesn't operate on the basis of fair. If God operated on the basis of fair, I would be damned to hell. God doesn't operate on the basis of fair. God operates on a different system. Because God is love, he gives grace where it's not deserved. But the question, what about the people that have never heard? Cornelius had never heard. And this is just one example that we have recorded in Scripture, and we hear about them happening all over the world today, where someone with a deep desire to know God is not left without an explanation that God answers. Cornelius doesn't know what he's asking for. He's just asking God to reveal himself. 
And God comes through, and he comes through with a vision. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Right? This is a daydream, a vision, where an angel of God is coming towards him, and he says, Cornelius. Cornelius stares at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Cornelius doesn't know this God. He knows there's God. But he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. He is not a Christian. He has not surrendered his life to Jesus. But he knows that there is God. He knows the Jews worship this God named Yahweh. And so he's been praying to this God. He's been serving and he's saying, God, if you're there, I, I, I'm giving everything to you and show me. And so the Holy Spirit God sends an angel through a vision. And he says, look, dude, send to a place, Joppa, ask for a dude named Simon Peter. Cornelius doesn't know why. He doesn't know what it is, but, but he agrees and he sends. But that's not all. As soon as uh, the, the men are getting to the town of Joppa, the next day, Cornelius' messengers, they were nearing the town. Peter went up to the, to the flat roof to pray, right? It was about noon. So where he's staying, he goes up to the roof and he's going to pray, right? And because it was about noon, he was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He has a vision, he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And if you know the story, if you've opened to Acts 10, you can see pretty quickly in verse 14, Peter's like, no. Thanks anyway, God. Right? Can I just, listen, <laughs> If you are praying to God and he shows you something, please don't say no. But God is gracious. Three times he repeats this vision for Peter. Now, he's trying to tell Peter something. This is one of those times where we'd say, well, why isn't God more clear in Scripture? God wants Peter to lean in, to get close what God is telling him is that he is tearing down the barrier. He's doing what he promised to do. He's doing what Jesus talked about. He's doing what Jesus did, right? But not on a personal level. He's doing it across the board. He is tearing down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. That no longer is there clean or unclean. No longer are there ceremonial rules to follow. No longer do we have to live the way we did in Leviticus. Right? But instead, there is power for everyone. That anyone that comes to Jesus will be saved. God is showing him this by showing him these unclean animals. Right? In the large sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Many of them, all of them on the sheet, are, are ones that if we read the book of Leviticus, we wouldn't even be able to touch, much less eat. We wouldn't be able to have them. But God is saying, look, there they are. Eat them. There's no more clean and unclean. 
Peter's pondering this. He's like, what in the world does this mean? How am I supposed to process this? And then the Holy Spirit's like, hey, dude, I got an idea. Get up and go with this guy. Get up and go with these men. And go tell Cornelius. He's Roman, by the way, but that's okay. Go tell him about me. See, God uses a double vision to bring salvation to the Gentiles. God speaks through dreams he always has. And he continues to do so. To assume that it was something that was for the Old Testament or something that was for the time uh, of the early church, but it's not something for us now, is to deny the power of God. And we can't deny the power of God. Instead, we need to lean in. Don't be skeptical just because it hasn't happened to you. Be open. There are a couple rules, a couple things that we need to know, right? Because, because guess what? You know as well as I do, you have some stupid dreams. You have some weird visions. Not all of them are from God. Some of them are. And we have to get good at hearing his voice. So a couple things. God-given dreams won't contradict Scripture. When we really dig in and we really dig deep, we'll find that God will never give you a dream that contradicts Scripture. He'll never give you a desire. He'll never give you a vision that contradicts Scripture. God-given dreams will confront your comfort. Always. Following a God-given dream will not make you comfortable. It will make you uncomfortable. God-given dreams aren't always easily interpreted. Why? Because he wants you to get close. He wants you to seek out. He wants you to dig in. And they're risky. When you follow a God-given dream, you find yourself in a position where either God shows up like you thought he was going to, like he said he would, or you are in trouble. And God-given dreams don't enhance your reputation. They enhance God's. I've known far too many people who had big dreams under the umbrella of God-honoring. But at the heart of it was someone individually wanting to be known, wanting to be famous, wanting to be respected, wanting to be thought well of. That's not a God-given dream. A God-given dream is not about your reputation. It's about God's. It's not about your glory. It's about God's. When you follow a God-given dream for his glory, perhaps there may be some things that come along the way that benefit you. But it was never about you in the first place. These are good litmus tests to follow. And God is still speaking in dreams and visions today for a couple of different reasons. One is for salvation. We talked about, uh, about people that genuinely want to follow God, uh, that God will speak to them, oftentimes through dreams. In fact, it's happening in the Middle East all over the place. That God is coming to people in dreams. That Jesus is coming to people in dreams to tell them about the gospel. And we, we read that people are responding to it. We're like, that's weird. It's not my experience. But listen, before these people hate God, after these people are surrendered to and following God, they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's got to be real. Because it's not about their comfort. 
right? In fact, it puts their lives at risk. It's not about their glory. It, it brings power and glory and honor to Jesus, right? This is what happens. In fact, um, you can read about a guy named Emmanuel, a Shia Muslim, who, who um, felt like there was something missing in the way that he was worshiping God, and he confided in a friend that he didn't even know was a Christian. And that friend gave him a Bible. And so he read some of the Bible, and he went to bed at night, and he, he prayed this prayer before he went to bed. God, if this is real, show me. And he recounts that that night, that very night as he slept, he had a dream. A dream about a man named Jesus who explained everything and who told him what it means to be saved. And, and, and as he woke, he surrendered his life to Jesus. In fact, when he surrendered his life to Jesus, he, he all of a sudden was in danger and he had to move to a refugee camp in Turkey. But this is the reality. Jesus is speaking through dreams, bringing salvation to people. And, and he, he's speaking through dreams to further the mission. Oftentimes, when, when God is speaking through a dream to you or a vision, it is not for you. But it's to accomplish something bigger. There's a man named, uh, oh, what's his name? I'll tell you. Lauren Cunningham. Back in 1956, Lauren was a young man. He was on a basketball mission, right, in the Bahamas, where they would go and they would play sports and then they would share the gospel with people. And um, as was his regular practice, as he opened his Bible to pray, he would ask God to show himself, right? And that night, as, as, as he was laying in bed, he had a dream of a world map that all of a sudden became alive, with great waves crashing on the shore of foreign nations. And as the waves crashed and crested on the shore, they became young men and women. Young men and women who marched into the cities and preached the gospel on street corners and in bars. Lauren woke up and, and had no idea exactly what the dream meant, except that he was supposed to dedicate his life to that. Without knowing what it would look like, Lauren Cunningham is the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, one of the largest sending missionary agencies in existence. More than 18,000 missionaries on staff, 1,100 ministry locations, and 180 countries. YWAM has a gospel presence that started with a dream that God gave Lauren Cunningham. Listen. God speaks this way, and he wants to speak to you this way too. And sometimes it's just for encouragement. Maybe encouragement for you. Maybe encouragement for someone else. Can you see that? That says vision. And this was given to me maybe five years ago. It says you were caught off guard. This is somebody had a vision of me. You were caught off guard in a cargo net, laying on your back, right, kind of curled up. I had my laptop with me. I was flabbergasted. I had a sly smile. I was excited. And then the person wrote, where it says me, wrote, listen, here, here's what I think God is telling me through this vision I had about you. I want to encourage you in this. Get ready 
for some fun, right? And a wild ride because the Lord is moving you. Hey, Lowell, you remember where that came from? You recognize the handwriting? No. You, you gave me that about five years ago. You're I'm not kidding. Lowell and I used to, what he called coffee. <laughs> we used to coffee. Right? Lowell decided when I got here in town, I think, I don't know if it was intentional. Maybe it was just lonely, but I think it was intentional. He, was, he, was, he, was men- he decided he would mentor me a little bit. And Lowell would often call me and say, hey, you want to have coffee? You want to get together? And so we would get together and have coffee and, and we would pray and we would just spend time in fellowship. But one day Lowell came into my office um, and he brought me this note. And he said, you know what? I don't know if you're into this kind of thing or not. Right? I don't know if you're into this kind of thing. Right? But, but God gave me a vision about you, and he passed this on. And it was an encouragement to me. Did it give me anything specific? No. But did it encourage me that, that God is doing things here and is going to continue to do things here? Absolutely it did. And I kept it. And I reflect on it. God, listen, God will continue to speak through dreams, through vision, through people, through desires he puts in our heart, all through the foundation of his word for salvation, for mission, and for encouragement. Why? Because he loves us. And when he does that, he's impressing upon us. If, if dreams are God showing us something, promptings are God putting something in your heart. Here's what Isaiah says about promptings. He says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Right? What's that telling us? That's telling us that the Holy Spirit of God will prompt us the way we should go. A prompting is a strong pressing upon your soul. Something you recognize. You could call it a poke, a prod, a nudge. It doesn't matter. It's a prompting where God is telling you definitively to do something that does not make sense. Whether it's the right or the left, God will tell you what way to go. Now, God is not going to prompt you for every single decision. Should you go to Tootsie's for ice cream or should you go to A&W for ice cream? I don't think God cares. A lot of it depends on how much spare time you have. Some of you have never been to Tootsie's and don't know why that's funny. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. God is not going to tell you necessarily how to make every single decision. Sometimes you have to decide, which one do I like better? And God's okay with that. But sometimes... God may press into your soul something unmistakable because you've got a divine appointment or because there's something that you need to do to be a blessing to somebody else. Sometimes he presses on us with these visions or with these promptings. Why? So that we can be an answer to somebody else's prayer that says, God, if you're real, let me know. And by you following a prompting that God gives you, you... He lets somebody know that he's real. Listen. God wants to do these things through you. He says your own ears will hear him. 
right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, right? Whether to the right or the left, why will that happen? Why? So that we can learn to hear him and we can learn to trust him above all else. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags saying to them, good riddance. You won't need them. You won't need idols. You won't need other ways to figure out how God wants you to move. You won't need other things to direct your path. Why? Because you'll be following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You won't need them. You can throw them out like filthy rags. King James Version refers to them as menstrual rags. You don't just get rid Like they are that detestable, right? You know why that, those, are, those are, according to Old Testament law, those would be unclean and need to be removed, right? And so, so he says, they have no business being a part of your life, a part of your decision-making. Dismiss them. Instead, you'll be hearing from God. You won't need horoscopes. You won't need, um, you won't need to pray over idols and ask for direction. You won't need to sacrifice to false gods. You won't need to go visit the psychics. You won't need to ask your life coach. You'll be following the promptings of God. Throw that other stuff out. So, I'm running up against the clock here, so I'll just tell you this. When God prompts you to pray, there is only one right response you should pray. We read stories upon stories of missionaries in the mission field who, who in times of danger, in times of, of warning, will report miraculous things happening right there in their midst, in their situation. And then we find out later on that it was at that same time that God was prompting people at the sending church to just stop what they were doing and pray. And we see that those line up. When God prompts you to pray, pray. When God prompts you to serve, do it. When hedge your bets, do it. When God prompts you to go, there's really only one response. That's go. When God prompts you to give, give. Whatever it is, whenever it is, when God prompts you, the right response is to go. So, It's a good place for us to wrap up. We ask God to talk to us. We say we want to hear your voice. We do it by reading his word and then learning the secondary languages of doors and desires and promptings and dreams and listening to people. And when he prompts us, we follow. We go where he leads. Very, very last thing, Just know this, when you live a life committed to following God's voice, the road will be littered with people that don't get it. And that's okay. When you make a commitment, God, I will follow your voice in my life. I will follow your word when it speaks to me, wherever it tells me to go, whatever it tells me to do. I will cut things out of my life. I will, I will embrace things that will make no sense to a watching world. When you follow God's um, voice through open doors and you walk away from closed doors and you follow God's 
God's voice through, through other people that are sharing truth with you that you didn't see. And when you follow God's voice through dreams and promptings, the road will be littered with people that think you're nuts. And that's okay. We didn't come here to win popularity contests. It's not why we're here. We're here to follow God's voice. So judge it by scripture. Am I hearing from God? Does it jive with scripture? Test your motives. Right? If God's telling you that you need a new Bentley, then probably that's not God's voice. Have that friend. Have that friend that you can just be open and honest with that has permission to be open and honest with you. Use a fleece. Some of you know that. Some of you might miss the reference. But, but when you go back to the book of Judges, when God prompted Gideon to do something drastic, Gideon said, okay, God, I don't want to make a mistake here. I want to make sure this is from you. So he put a fleece out and said, God, if you make the room wet and the fleece dry, I'll know this is from you. Of course, then Gideon got pushy and he did it again. He said, okay, God, this time, if you make the fleece let and the floor, the floor dry, and then I'll really know it's from you. God, God was gracious. Use a fleece, not like literally a fleece. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you've got one laying around, but you could test it. You could ask God. He's patient. He loves you. But when you go, go with both feet. Don't hedge your bets. Don't linger. But when God tells you to go, when you understand God's voice in your life, then you move with both feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just ask you. We ask you clearly, God. We ask you confidently to continue to speak to us. Speak to our hearts, to our souls. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, impress upon us. God, first and foremost, do it through your word. God, I'm so excited about a men's conference that's focusing on getting into the word because that is first and foremost how you want to speak to all of us. Those words are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Help us to breathe them in. But God, on top of that, help us to hear your voice through other people, through the circumstances of our life. Help us to hear your voice through our dreams and visions. And God, help us to hear um, and take heed to your promptings, the things that you impress upon us. God, we know that when we follow you, it will not be easy, but it will be worth it. That it won't make our life simpler, but it will make our life better. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.